Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 95, TurboTech. Diagnostic and Repair Opportunities for Technicians. Uh, this one is, is was literally from a trade magazine as far as uh, repair shop and, and techno, technical uh, trade magazine. So it essentially was written really for more for technicians and shop owners. But the way it's written and the information that's in there, I thought it would be really applicable for uh, the average uh, person who's interested in, in turbocharger technology. Uh, it's not too technical, um, but there is a, I thought there was a lot of good information in there, so I decided, well, let's make a podcast out of it. But first, before that, just a quick commercial, hopefully not too long. Um, I, I have recently uh, set up my podcast where some of the episodes uh, you can certainly contribute to uh, through uh, Patreon. If you go to podbean.com, which is my main uh, distribution point for the podcast, if you go to the main uh, podbean.com homepage for the podcast, which of course is Brad Kyle's MotorWorks podcast, You'll see in the upper right-hand corner where it says become a patron. If you click on that, it'll go to a page where um, I've got it set up where you can contribute. Uh, five. It shows $5 a month. You can certainly do less than that. You can do the more than that. But the bottom line is, is that I've taken some of the episodes out of the normal public uh, free type situation, and I put them uh, in that scenario where they, they do have to be paid for in regards to uh, to be able to actually download them. Okay, the ones I picked out are ones that, in my opinion, if you follow the information that I give you on those and apply it in your automotive car ownership life, you could literally save yourself thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars worth of money and, uh, you know, heartache and or stress or whatever the case may be. So I, I thought that they were really valuable from a dollars and cents standpoint. So and obviously I'm, I was also looking towards to be able to uh, you know, fund the, uh, the podcast account to be able to do additional training and, and keep up to date on things and, and obviously be able to continue to be able to do the podcast. So just want to let you know on that. Um, and again, on this particular podcast, uh, it, again, it is out of a, uh, trade magazine article. One thing you may want to reference, uh, I did another, uh, podcast. It was episode 19 called Turbocharged Cars versus Non-Turbo Cars. Okay. Um, that might be something to, again, to, to listen to. Um, there's, again, good background information on that in regards to turbocharging, and it's just kind of different information. But again, I, I thought this one was really um, uh, very applicable. Um, it is newer information. So anyway, I'll be reading it, you know, verbatim right from the article. And um, we go from there. So again, it's entitled TurboTech Smaller Engines Offer Greater Diagnostic Opportunities. Again, obviously written towards the uh, technician. So here we go. Turbochargers are not a new technology. During the 1980s and 1990s, many automakers used turbochargers on gasoline engines for limited applications for performance. Many of these vehicles got a bad reputation for reliability and power that came on on in one big lump. In other words, the power came on like all at one time. It's what's called turbo leg. Those are my words, by the way. 
By the middle 1990s, many import car and truck manufacturers had stopped using turbochargers on their engines. Many replaced turbocharged four-cylinder engines with larger displacement V6 and V8 engines. Why? Automakers had had, had enough of rate boy start over. Automakers had had enough of rising warranty costs and consumers be, began to associate turbochargers with trouble. 25 years later, turbochargers have made a comeback, and it's been quick. In 2010, only 5% of vehicles sold in the U.S. were turbocharged. By 2017, almost 28% of cars and trucks sold were turbocharged. How did they overcome the negative image? First, automakers do not advertise that models are turbocharged in brochures or badge on the trunk lid. Instead, they call the engines Echo, or put a T in the engine's name. Second, they have developed ways to cool the turbo after the engine is shut down to alleviate heat soak. Last, they made a turbocharged engine act like a naturally aspirated engine. In other words, naturally aspirated, meaning that it breathes normally. Say there's no boost, there's no turbocharging, supercharging, anything like that. That's what naturally aspirated means. Back in the day, it was not uncommon for a turbocharger on some vehicles to only last between 30 to 40,000 miles. The failures were almost always in the center section and caused by the lack of oil flow to cool and lubricate the bearings and shaft. The lack of oil was caused by carbon deposits in the lines and passages. The most significant part of the problem was that deposits formed when the engine was off and the turbo was what's called heat-soaked. Okay, just a quick uh, definition on that terminology. Um, this happens with every engine, but if if you think about it, it makes sense. And that is, is that you know you're driving along, the engine is operating, and assuming the cooling system's working properly, the engine's operating at different temperatures throughout uh, different locations in the engine. But the bottom line is, is that the cooling system is taking the extra heat away, usually through the radiator, and or the um, oil itself is taking heat away. When you shut the engine off, okay, that heat is still there, but obviously there's no more coolant flow or oil flow. So what happens is the heat that's still there soaks into the surrounding, into the parts. So they actually get hotter than what they were when the engine was running, hence the name heat soak, okay? When an engine stops turning, the oil flowing to the turbocharger stops. The oil inside the turbocharger might drain out of the center section through the return line. The remaining oil in the center section is heated to the point where it is turned to carbon deposits, or what some people call coke. And we don't mean the drinking kind or the uh, other kind. Carbon deposits can obstruct the passages that carry oil to the turbine shaft and bearings. When the engine is running, the oil is a coolant that draws heat out of the turbocharger, but for the oil to to cool the turbo, it must flow. Restrictions in the oil feed or return lines can cause the turbocharger to operate hotter than usual. Just about every turbocharged engine sold in the past 10 years has an electric pump circulating engine coolant through the turbocharger's center section for two to five minutes after the engine stops. The circulating coolant helps to cool the turbocharger. Most pumps will free spin when the engine is running and engage when the engine is shut off. Many factors determine the runtime and speed of the pump. Most systems look at the engine's coolant temperatures using sensors mounted in the head, block, and radiator. 
Many engine management systems look at a battery voltage to determine how long the pump can run to cool the turbochargers. Most sophisticated systems use the battery life monitor that measures the current draw through the positive battery cable. Most systems will prioritize cranking and starting the engine over cooling the turbocharger in situations where the battery is marginal. So what that's really trying to say, the, again, these are my words, is it's kind of really more important that your battery is kept, you know, up to proper, uh, it's taken care of properly, uh, it's serviced properly, it's checked on occasion. Most of the newer cars, and I can certainly speak about BMW anyway, since that's what I work on, is that it does, it monitors the life of the battery, and as it starts to become potentially more marginal, as far as, you know, towards the end of its life, or if there's a problem, it will actually put up, like, low battery, uh, a display, like when you shut the car off, okay? Uh, even though the engine is starting, okay, but based on what that article just said a moment ago, it means that... You, let's just say the battery is marginal, okay, and you shut the engine off. The system's looking at the, the uh, condition of the battery, and so instead of running it, let's say, five minutes like it would want to to keep the coolant flow to help tur uh, cool down the turbocharger, it may only run two minutes, okay, because it's looking at the priority is being able to start the engine the next time you go to start it up, to crank it over the next time you go to start it up. That's the priority is starting the engine. So uh, you could have a situation where by not having the battery checked and or taking care of it, um, like let's say, again, you have a low battery uh, message coming up, but you're thinking like, well, heck, the car keeps starting, so what do I care? Well, uh, you're going to care when it starts to potentially damage the turbocharger because the electric coolant pump's not running as long as it's supposed to after you shut the engine off. Okay, so it is important. Okay, uh, next section is called Better Boost. Many, many vehicle owners may not even know if their car or truck is turbocharged. Engineers have taken smaller displacement engines that don't produce much torque in the lower RPM ranges and given them better engine management systems. Variable valve timing and electrically operated waste, gaze, waste gates and bypass valves. These engines can have the same power band as engines twice their size. Most modern turbochargers use an internal bypass valve that recycles the excess boost into the intake system before the compressor. The bypass valve is an electronic motor on most modern turbochargers and not a spring and diaphragm calibrated to a maximum boost pressure. Some vehicles and scan tools will allow you to actuate the bypass valve. You can also watch the live data stream on a test drive to see how the valve is used to manage the speed of the compressor or exhaust turbine wheel. Again, that's something that obviously is a technician type thing for use for testing and diagnostics. But again, um, I just felt that it was worthwhile for, um, for you to be able to hear about that. Uh, the bypass valve prevents the surging of air of the air when the, valve, when the throttle valve is shut. The surge of air can stall the compressor wheel and cause stress on the shaft. The wastegate on the exhaust side of the turbocharger regulates the speed of the exhaust turbine. When the wastegate opens, it routes exhaust gases around the spinning turbine to the exhaust manifold or downpipe, causing the turbine to slow down and boost to be reduced. If the valve is stuck open, the turbine will not spool up and the boost will not be generated. If the valve is stuck shut, there can be rapid changes in compressor speed. 
If the turbocharger is a dual scroll design, the turbocharger's exhaust side might have a valve between the exhaust manifold and the turbocharger. The valve directs the exhaust gases over different parts of the exhaust turbine. The valve is used to control the speed of the turbocharger and boost levels. With all three valves working together, the boost can be kept in a range where the best fuel economy and power can be produced from a smaller engine. This can be done below 3,000 RPM. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, in today's world, if you get looking at horsepower, horsepower and torque readings versus engine RPM, there are many, many engines that are producing maximum torque down as low as 15, 1600 RPM. I mean, folks, that's like barely off idle. Okay, most engines idle at around, well, it depends, around six, 700 RPM all the way up to maybe about 900. So you've basically just barely applied throttle, okay, and maximum torque is available at, like I say, 15, 16, 1700 RPM. So, and torque is that, that pulling feel or that, you know, uh, push you back in the seat kind of a feel that you get um, when you're accelerating. Okay, that's what torque is. The most common restriction for turbochargers are not blockage in the feed line, but elevated crankcase pressure that restricts the return line. The return line on most engines is plumbed into or above the oil pan. If crankcase pressures are, are high due to blow-by or a restricted PCV system, the oil coming from the turbocharger will have to overcome the pressure to drain into the oil pan. Making sure the engine has the latest ECU, that's electronic control unit, uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, calibration is key to allowing a replacement turbocharger to survive. The latest calibration can enable the turbocharger to cool in less time, reducing the likelihood of the oil coking in the oil feed pipe. Diagnosing an underboost condition on a modern engine requires a scan tool to graph multiple data PIDs from the data stream. The two most important parameters to look at are the desired boost pressure and the actual boost pressure during a test drive. The first thing to see is if the boost reaches the desired level. If the boost is low, it is a sign there might be a leak in the system. If the boost is slow to build, it could be a sign there might be an issue with the wastegate or bypass leaking. The next parameter in the data stream to look at is the position or duty cycle or requested position of the bypass or wastegate valve compared to the boost pressure. Look for a change in the requested position or duty cycle and changes in boost pressure. If boost pressure does not change, it can indicate a mechanical issue. It is estimated that by 2022, 50% or more of vehicles sold in the U.S. will have one or more turbochargers under the hood. There are already significant numbers of vehicles on the roads that are turbocharged and need service. Some of the fixes do not involve replacing the turbocharger, but the support components that keep it healthy. Okay, uh, that's the end of that article. And if I didn't mention it uh, right up front, maybe I better, I don't think I did, so I better give uh, proper, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, uh, this was originally from a trade magazine called Underhood, Underhood Service. It was written by a fellow by the name of Andrew Markell. He's the director of content for that magazine. And so, again, this was written for professionals, but I thought it seemed like it was, you know, a little bit technical, um, but certainly it's something that if people are interested in turbochargers, uh, I'm sure they could uh, get some information. Hopefully you've gotten some good information from that. I thought it was worthwhile to make a podcast out of it and uh, kind of bring you up to speed with what's going on out there. So... 
I appreciate your time. As usual, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. And again, I mean, uh, I would really appreciate if, uh, you know, if you want to help contribute to the podcast and go to that uh, patron page on podbean.com. And again, it shows $5 a month, but you don't have to do that if you want to do a dollar or two or whatever. It is ongoing, but you can cancel it at any time. So I leave it up to you. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your listening. Uh, I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.